I don't care if I'm going to get annoying, but I think that before we get to Scripture, we need to be in a position of recognizing that we're sinners before God. Because, because, one of the greatest dangers of coming to church every week is somehow thinking that we're better or that we're different than other people. But friends, we are the tax collector when we come to the temple. We are not the Pharisee who says, well, we fast and we know the scriptures and we pray. We're the tax collector who comes and says, beating his breast, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So yes, we're forgiven. Psalm 103, we just heard, it declares our sins as far as east from the west. But we're still associated with the crowd that Jesus came to associate with. And I never want to graduate from the class that Jesus graduated with. I'm sorry, hung out with. We don't just serve a new God. We serve the God who started everything. This is who shepherds us, Adonai. And he's personal. He didn't just set up the universe and step aside and say, we'll see how it goes. Because the majority of Americans believe that God is a moralistic, therapeutic, deistic deity. He's just here to kind of help us be good people, to make us feel better when we feel scared, and that he's, he's just kind of off in the distance until an emergency comes up. We do not serve a moralistic, therapeutic, deistic God. We serve a present God who's here to change us, who's here not just to say, oh, good job on not cussing this week, He's here to turn us into sons and daughters of the living God. He's here with us, walking alongside us, shepherding us, because he wants us to become like his son. Us who are made in his image, he wants to also restore to us his likeness. He wants to give us his divine nature. He wants to gather us together, as we saw in Psalm 22, and call us brothers and sisters. Christ, the chief worship leader in our midst, is spreading and sharing his nature with us, his brothers and sisters. This is the shepherd who shepherds us. Question, is this God shepherding you? Or is it the God that you've sort of ascribed to as the going to make me feel better, trying to make me a better person? I'm going to kind of combine the best aspects of culture, my favorite verses, and how I feel. There is so much of that today. There is so much Christian New Age stuff that just doesn't go by that name. Friends, we need the historic God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, we need the creator. We need the God of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the God who is revealed in and through Jesus. That is who is shepherding us. He is our shepherd. So that's good news number one. This God is our shepherd. Good news number two. Because he is our shepherd, we shall not want. We shall not want. When I prayed this psalm, which obviously I did quite a lot this week, that I, I, I can often not get further than that first line. Because you know what? I, I've learned I am a want factory. I want. I want. I want. And you know what? I'm, I'm pretty disciplined about like not eating sugar during the week. I want it. So I tell myself, you're not going to get it. But when the weekend comes, and I'm just 
it's a weekend, man. My sugar fast is done. Ooh, I want. And it's hard to stop. I'm too transparent, apparently. I want. We all want. We want positions. We want possessions. We want power. We want praise and applause from, from people. We want stuff. And here's what I am finding When my want desire factory is in high gear, it's because I am not allowing Adonai to shepherd me. I'm not allowing Christ to shepherd me. Because when he does, my wants transcend the petty little wants that my body and my soul need all the time. You know, C.S. Lewis is famous for saying that God finds our desires not too strong but too weak. Because God's offering his illustration. God's offering us a holiday at sea. All paid, inclusive cruise in the Mediterranean, Caribbean. Choose your pick. And we are in the slums playing with mud pies and tin cans because we want petty little earthly things. But when I allow Christ to shepherd me, I begin to want what he wants. Well, here's some of the reasons why we get shepherded and why we shall not want. Because he meets so many of our needs on a basic level. Check out verses 1 through 3. It tells us why we don't need to want. And notice, each line begins with he. He makes me lie down. He leads me. He restores me. He leads me. We don't want because the shepherd is here and he is in acting in our lives. He's active in our lives. He isn't just waiting for our prayers. He's walking with us. He's waking with us. He's eating with us. And he's worshiping with us. Christ is with his people. We are his body, friends. He's with us. He is always with us. So he's the one who's with us, giving us so that we shall not want. We, in other words, we no longer lack. We no longer lack. Everything we need is given in abundance. So let's break this down. Verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Green pastures are important to sheep. We need food. We need space. We don't need thick woods where wolves can lurk and hide. We need to be in open spaces where the shepherd can watch. We need the green pastures to eat in and lay down in. And so we don't walk off a cliff. Because sheep do that, I hear. He finds those green pastures. But he also makes us. I struggled with that. Because here you have this nice parallel. He makes me lie down. Okay, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. You're like, oh, cool. He feeds me. He leads me. He restores me. It just sounds really nice. He does this. And then, but this verse two, he makes me. We don't like to be made to do anything. Why does it say he makes our bed? It said he makes me lie down on green pastures. It almost just seems like break from the pattern. And then this is, this was the obvious truth. When I stopped trying to wish it was different, the obvious truth settled upon me. And it was, Brandon, Christians, God has to make us lie down in the green pastures because we don't lie down in green pastures. We're always busy, busy, busy. 
We have this belief somehow, though we would never admit it, that if we somehow stopped doing what we do, things will fall apart. The family would break apart. Our businesses would run to the ground. Or the world would just, if we don't ambitiously make people aware of these things, the world's just going to crumble. So God tells Israel to keep a Sabbath. They don't. Part of the reason they went into exile and lost their kingdom was they never kept the Sabbath. And so God makes us lie down. You know that God never, at least, you can check me if I'm wrong, but nothing hits me, at least not very frequently. You you don't see God telling us to be busier. God makes me get into action. Jesus said, hey, you who are weary, heavy laden, come. My yoke is easy, my burden's light. Hey, you who are running around trying to be the shepherd, come and light, come and be a sheep. Come and lay down in green pastures. The Bible seems to more frequently tell us to stop, let go, rest, than it does hold on tight and make everything work. I think there's a lesson here that God is very clear when he's saying, well, David's very clear when he says, he is our shepherd, we're the sheep. So be a sheep. Rest in what God has given you. And it feels so good to let go and trust him. And you know what? If he's our shepherd and we're lying down in his pastures, we won't be lazy. You need fear not being lazy because your hungry stomach for Christ will motivate you. We just need more rest. Lest we take the staff from his hand and it goes down the river with us. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And so the commentators say sheep won't drink from scary water, fast-moving water. So the shepherd has to find the still waters, and he leads us there. He leads us there so we can drink. And then verse 3, he restores my soul. The Hebrew of soul is quite literally, it's just, it's life breath. It's your whole being. He restores my being. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So when we ask God for direction, you can expect his direction to come in the way that most glorifies him. The paths he leads us on are for his name's sake. That's what we can expect. So you can keep praying for your will. But he will eventually get you on his will if you keep on seeking his path. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So he, 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 he. That's why we shall not want. Our shepherd is giving to us precisely what we need. So God is our shepherd. This is the Adonai. We shall not want. And then third good news is we shall not fear. We see that in verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. We don't have to fear. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Do you notice the, the change here? Very subtle, but it's there. In verses 1 through 3, he makes me lay down. He leads me. He restores me. He leads me. But in verse 4, you are with me. Your rod, your staff. 
We go from talking about God, him, to talking to God, you. Why? Because sometimes, sometimes, God is sort of there in the picture. Thank you, God. You've given me a good life. You've met all my needs. I got the, ah, this nice down pillow and green pasture and food and calm and water and security and, and a direction in life. And I feel like I have purpose. And it's all going. God is so good. Isn't God good? God is so good. But then the storm comes. You've watched Jesus heal lepers. You've watched him make the mute speak. You've watched him raise people who cannot walk. All these things going on. God's so good. Isn't God good? God's so good. And then all of a sudden, you're on the boat in the sea, the stormy sea, and you're crying out for your life. And you're saying, Master, don't you care that we're perishing? And then he stands up and doesn't say anything new. He told a demon earlier in Mark chapter 1, peace be still. And then in Mark chapter 4, he tells the sea, peace be still. But then, for the first time, in the Gospel of Mark, when he calms the storm, that's the first time the disciples marvel. Because they were in the valley of the shadow of death. They were no longer lying around in the pasture saying, isn't God good? Yes, he's so good. He's so wonderful. We like to praise his name. Now it is, oh Lord, I need you here with me more than ever. You rescue me. You help me. You hear my cry. You carry me. And God becomes so much more personal when the shepherd picks up his terrified sheep and puts them over his shoulders and carries him through the valley. That's when we stop talking about God in the third person and we start addressing him as our shepherd. So... We walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We don't need to fear because he becomes you. The doctrine of God becomes the personal carrier of our souls. And then, of course, it's more than that. He doesn't just be with us there. He takes us through the valley of the shadow of death. So we need not fear, even in hardship, even in death, whichever it is, metaphor for the metaphor of death, like, oh, it's going to be really bad. This valley is really scary or your actual death. Either way, we need not fear because he's there. So, and then we see the result in verse five and six. It continues addressing him as you. So we got now, not just are our wants met, but now we have more than we need. In verse 5, you prepare a table before me, which would have been nice. Anytime, God setting a table for you, God making a feast for you. Yes and amen. But it's also in the presence of my enemies. If there was ever a time when you don't feast, it's when you're under siege from your enemies. In Israel, when the Babylonians sieged the city, they would actually cannibalize each other because it was that bad in the presence of your enemies you don't feast you're on full alert you're panic your nerves are tense you cannot relax but when god has carried us through the valley of the shadow of death that table is laid all the time not just when life is good but when i'm in the midst of hardship and in the midst of enemies he's still spreading that table that's what it's like to let him shepherd us. And he anoints my head with oil. 
All right, so this is kind of weird for us because we don't really anoint our heads with oil. The, the equivalent today would be lotion. Most ladies like lotion. It makes the skin nice and soft, especially now when the heaters are running and it's just a little drier. And I don't know about you guys, if, if you guys have the, the iPhones and the, like, the little thumb recognition to open it this time of year, it seems that thing never works anymore. Like the skin's just like different on my thumb. Lotion. That's what they used was oil to make the body moist, to make it healthy, to make it shine. And according to the commentaries, this was actually, you wouldn't just anoint a head with oil unless it was very important. This was, in other words, luxury. God is giving way more than his sheep need. He's meeting our needs and going beyond. So a feast, even in danger, he's giving us this luxurious lotion, this oil, My cup overflows. So, of course, in a Jewish culture, this cup would be a cup of wine. And the wine is not being stingy. God's like, oh, hold on. That was a vintage year. You're going to just have one cup. He just keeps on pouring, and it keeps overflowing. There's no end. God is so good and gracious. He keeps overflowing. So that's why verse 6 then concludes, surely, goodness and mercy that he's been showing, this is going to follow me all the days of my life. It's going to follow me because it's spilling out of my life. Wherever I go, there's goodness and mercy because it's not like I absorbed all of it and God's out of it. Oh, you took up your allotment this week. It's going to keep falling. Everywhere I go, is goodness and mercy is going to spill out of me. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever, of Adonai forever. That is our good shepherd. This God of Israel, this God of Jesus Christ, this God who created everything, this God who walks with us in the valley of the shadow of death, we will not fear, we will not want when he shepherds us. Please don't take for granted that he's just a shepherd and he's just there and he's just going to make it all happen for you because you can be that sheep. We can be that sheep that just wanders off into our own little way. This is cool. For a moment, it's cool. We must let God shepherd us. Adonai is my shepherd, I shall not want. And when I pray this, I simply pray, when Adonai is my shepherd, I shall not want. To remind me that this is conditional on me. Goodness and mercy will always overflow. My cup will always overflow if I set it at his table. So God is our shepherd. He is our good shepherd. Why do we need this good news that he shepherds us? Why? Why did we need the shepherd? Why can't we just do this on our own? (laughs) Uh, You guys are all like, we all know. (laughs) We've been there. Isaiah 53, verse 6. I'm just going to read it real quick to you. You know this passage. Isaiah 53, 6. All, there go all my notes, my bookmarks. <laughs> all we like sheep have gone astray. Oh, you know this. We have turned everyone to his own way. Why do we need the good shepherd? Why do we need Psalm 23? Because that's who I am. I'm a sheep who thinks he knows the way. Just Plowing through Italy, I've done this before. God's just sitting there going with the table spread and ready going, (laughs) let's see if the food's still hot when he comes back. Yes, we need him because we 
don't know the way. And I've heard from people who have been with sheep, and I've read, and I think we've all heard snippets here and there, that sheep literally get lost without a shepherd. They will follow each other off a cliff. They will go into water and drown and go down the way, which is why there's a staff that kind of goes in and hooks the sheep out of there. Sheep just don't know any better. They must be watched. They must be cared for. And we, we human beings, are sheep. It's not a compliment. I know they might be cute. They might be fuzzy. They might give us nice wool socks, which are keeping my feet very toasty right now. But you don't want to be a sheep. But we are. And so this is why we need a shepherd. We must recognize who we are and who God is, and then we will be properly led in life. Second reason we need the shepherd is because there are bad shepherds. We need to recognize that we have a good shepherd because the world is loaded with bad shepherds. We know that all too well in a real literal leadership context in our government. But it's true in a spiritual sense too. And even if we don't have bad shepherds, we have inadequate shepherds. No shepherd is the good shepherd except Christ. Every other shepherd is either a bad shepherd or an inadequate shepherd. That's me. I hope I'm not the bad one. I pray against that. But But you have to acknowledge I am not the good shepherd. I am an inadequate shepherd. In many ways, inadequate. I am a shepherd. The New Testament makes it clear that God has given the church shepherds called pastors. It's 1 Peter chapter 5. But he's the chief shepherd. I'm just this inadequate shepherd sheep myself, who just has this fancy little collar around his neck or something that signifies, that one's less stupid. I don't know. I'm I'm probably actually not any less stupid than you guys, but let's just, okay, so we know that there are bad shepherds and inadequate shepherds. Here, I want to take you guys through a couple passages, and we're going to culminate in Christ here. So turn, please, to Jeremiah 23. You should always hold your place, by the way, in Psalms, but we're going to go to Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah's to the right. Isaiah, Proverbs, no, that's not it. But anyways, you see Isaiah, then you go to Jeremiah. This is to your right. Jeremiah 23. Here, Jeremiah talks about the leadership of the people of Israel as bad shepherds. Isaiah 23, verse 1. Woe to the shepherds. Sounds like a horse joke when you're talking about sheep. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares Adonai. Therefore, thus says Adonai, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people. You have scattered my flock. You have driven them away. You have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you. I love this, that play on word. You've not attended to them, so behold, I will attend to you. I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares Adonai. Verse 3, then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. And I will set shepherds over them who will care for them. And they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing. You have scattered them, I will gather them. You have not attended to them, I will number them. 
I will number them. Neither shall they be missing, declares Adonai. Every single one is going to count. They're going to have a name. They will know my voice. So there's a, there's a little foreshadow there of Christ. It doesn't quite come to that degree, but it says there will be good shepherds one day. Then we have Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel 34. So Isaiah, Jeremiah, go to Lamentations, Ezekiel's to your right. Ezekiel chapter 34. This one is much longer. We'll, we'll, we'll uh, probably just do a few verses here. Ezekiel 34, verse 1. Again, the bad shepherds of Israel. The word of Adonai came to me, Ezekiel, son of man. Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord Adonai. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. And strayed, the strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. That's ugly. That is ugly. So in verse 10, we'll skip down. Thus says the Lord Adonai, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. They're feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I... This is God speaking. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, they, that they may not be food for them. Now we keep going. And this gets even more specific. It just keeps getting better. Verse 11. For thus says the Lord Adonai, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. Wow. So in Luke 15, Jesus is eating with, what the Pharisees, who are standing outside the... Jesus is at a table, eating with people. The Pharisees, some spiritual shepherds of the time, they're standing outside the table. They haven't joined the feast. They're standing outside. And they're looking in, going, Huh! He eats with sinners! Well, first of all, when we say that Jesus ate with sinners, just know that that wasn't Jesus' word for them. They were lost sheep, yes. It was the Pharisees who said, he's eating with people that we're not. He's eating with sinners. And Jesus tells them three parables. The first being, which of you who has a hundred sheep would not leave the 99 to go after the lost one? And he talks about how when one soul comes and is found, heaven rejoices. What is Jesus saying there? This verse, I, God was saying, I, I myself will search out my sheep and seek them out. Jesus is right there, the shepherd seeking out the lost, and he's brought them out of the valley of the shadow of death, and they're now sitting at the feast in the presence of their enemies, the ones that should be shepherding them. 
He went and sought them out. He is saying, I am the Psalm 23 shepherd. I am the antithesis to all the shepherds in the world. And so we see in verse 12, as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered. All places, not just Israel. Ireland, Scotland, England, Germany, France, Albania, Cambodia, Kenya, China, Mongolia, South America, just all the, the, take the whole map. I will seek them from every place. Jesus said, I have sheep that are not of this fold, and I will take them too. And when is this going to happen? And verse 12 continues, on a day of clouds and thick darkness. Gave me goosebumps the first time I recognized what I was reading there. When Jesus was on the cross, the sun was eclipsed. It was a day of darkness. That was the moment when our shepherd made a way for every lost sheep to leave the valley of the shadow of death. Verse 14, I will feed them with good pasture. Verse 15, I myself will be be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord Adonai. I, verse 16, will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy. That's referring to the the bad shepherds that are getting fat on everything. I will feed them in justice. So Matthew 9, we see Jesus doing this, right? He's healing the sick. He's, He's restoring the injured. Jesus is being that shepherd. And so then we can end by going to verse 22. And Ezekiel, don't get too excited that I'm ending. Uh, Verse 22, I will rescue, like, well, that was a record for him. I will rescue my flock. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, Adonai, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am Adonai. I have spoken. One shepherd, my servant David. Matthew 1.1 makes all this crystal clear. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, the son of David. Ezekiel 34 took us closer than Jeremiah did. Yes, the good shepherd is coming, and it will be God himself. And now we know in and through Jesus. So now that brings us to, I told you, three passages culminating in Christ, John chapter 10. So go all the way to your right, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John chapter 10. So remember, what we're looking at is, why do we need the good shepherd? Because there are bad shepherds. And we are not just lost. All we like sheep have gone astray, yes. But when we go astray, we don't have shepherds to help us find our way. Those shepherds are taking advantage of our lostness. But Christ. So John chapter 10, verse 1. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. So there's a pen of sheep, there's a gatekeeper. Robbers are not going to go to the gate because the gatekeeper is like, who are you? You don't have the credentials for these sheep. They would come in and sneak in. But Jesus is saying, good shepherds can come right in front to the gate and say, hey, I'm the shepherd. And the gatekeeper like, guys, you are. I'll let your sheep out. All right. Verse uh, 3. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name. Remember, uh, Jeremiah said that he would, he, would, he would take account of all of them. I said they'd be numbered. Yeah, he will know them by name. He leads them out. Verse 4. And when he has brought out all his own he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice a stranger they will not follow but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers now you perhaps along with everybody else are going why is he saying all this so verse six this figure of speech jesus used with them but they did not understand what he was saying to them okay we get what you're saying but what's your point well here it is verse seven Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. So everyone was a bad shepherd in comparison to my coming. Um, I am the door of the sheep. All came, but the sheep did not listen to them. Verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That word life is not biological heartbeat and breathing kind of life. Synapses firing in my brain, not that kind of life. It's the Zoe life. It's the Greek word Zoe. It refers to the life of God himself. I came that they may share in my life and have it, what? Abundantly. Or read that they, I may just pour the oil over their head or that their cup may overflow or that goodness and mercy shall follow them all the days of their life or that they shall dwell in my house forever. They may have life and have it abundantly. And here it is as clear as day. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd is now going to be defined for us. We've seen the bad shepherds very clearly. Here's what the good shepherd does. Five times you're going to see him say this. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's number one. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not know, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Verse 14, again, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I, number two, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock. What does he say? One shepherd. For this is the reason the Father loves me. Because, number three, I lay down my life that I may be able to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but four, I lay it down of my own accord. 
I have authority, number five, to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Oh, that's gorgeous. The good shepherd is defined by he who will lay down his life. Why do we need Psalm 23? Why do we need to know that Adonai is our shepherd? Because we have a world loaded with bad shepherds. And unfortunately, I have met my share, even at the young age of 35, in the church, I have been shepherded poorly. They exist. We must know the shepherd's voice. We must know his voice. We must be shepherded by him. And so, the good shepherd lays down his life, but notice he also said, I also have the authority to take my life up again. In other words, look, I'm the one that can lead you through the valley of the shadow of death because I am the one who holds death. I give myself to death and I pull myself out of death. The good shepherd, that's why we fear not in verse 4, back to Psalm 23, because he is the one who holds death. The third and final reason that we need a good shepherd is because he alone can rescue us from the maw of death. We need this good shepherd, yes, to shepherd us through life, yes, because we're sheep that go astray, but because of death. Death has forever been the final destiny of all humanity until the good shepherd came and lay down his life, lay down his life, lay down his life, lay down his life, lay down his life. He is our shepherd because he didn't just come and heal us and mend the brokenhearted and, and be a good shepherd. Now you know my voice and stay away from those bad boys. They're really bad. I'm the good one. He didn't just come and do that. He came and literally led us. And didn't just lead us as far as he wanted to go. He led us into death itself. Why does Psalm 23 come after Psalm 22? Psalm 22 is the psalm of Jesus' crucifixion. Psalm 23 is the good shepherd who goes on the cross because he's leading his sheep into and out of death. Beloved, the grave is no foreign place to our shepherd. And when we go there, when we go to the grave, he has been there. And he knows how to lead us out. There's no place that we're stuck. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who rescues our life from the pit. We prayed earlier. So here's what Christ does on the cross. The good shepherd is willingly killed so that he can go where we will all eventually go, so that he can then find a path out for us, so that we can eventually also come out. Christ didn't just go into death, he conquered death. He's our good shepherd. We need not fear death. The New Testament makes this abundantly clear. Two really key verses for us. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews 2 verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, I'm talking about us, sharing, he himself likewise partook of the same thing. So Christ, the good shepherd, became like us, right? He came to us. We shared flesh and blood with us. That... Through death, he became like us so he could die. So that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. The ultimate bad shepherd 
He came to be the good shepherd to us, not just to lead us away from the bad shepherd, but to forever cripple the bad shepherd. That bad shepherd, his shepherd's staff, which he used to hook many people into the grave and to keep them in the grave and to use sin to lure them into the grave and to hold them down into his kingdom of darkness, that staff has been broken on the cross. The good shepherd said, you don't need that anymore. He went into death himself so he can confront the devil and say, I need that. He broke the power of death, the one who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and now verse 15, and to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The ultimate villain shepherd is broken. You're no longer held subject to his flock because a good shepherd has led many sheep out of death. And then Revelation chapter 1, John <laughs> who recorded the words of the good shepherd in John chapter 10. John has this vision of the risen Christ in Revelation chapter 1, and he's terrified. He falls down on his face, thinks he's going to die because he has seen the risen Christ in a vision. And so, Revelation 1, 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, for I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And, jingle, jingle, I have the keys of death and Hades. Whew. Yep, death will try to lock you in, but just know that the devil can't actually turn the key on your jail cell. It's a wide open door. Christ will come and say, it's time. Come with me, my son, my daughter. Come and enjoy the table I've made for you. Come and dwell in my house forever. What a good shepherd. It's not just because he had good feelings for us. He went where no one else could go for us. That's what makes him a good shepherd. So do we need him? Adonai and Christ are our good shepherd. Let's let him shepherd us. Why do we need him? We've seen abundantly that we cannot exist without this good shepherd. And so, friends, it's time to now point out the last part of this psalm. What happens when we let God shepherd us? When we let Christ be the good shepherd of our lives? What happens is verse 5 and 6, which we've already read. The table, the, the anointing with oil, the cup that overflows, goodness and mercy, living all our days in the house of the Lord forever. But what you need to see is that verse 5 and 6 are not just great verses of comfort. There's an actual growth in this psalm. There is a progression. Watch. Oh, someone's really good over here. In verses 1 through 3, we're sheep. He's shepherding us. He's giving us grass. How does that appeal to you? He's giving us brooks, and he's, he's teaching us to lie down in grass. So you're eating grass, you're lying down in grass, you're drinking water from a brook. You don't ask what's upstream. I'm sure the good shepherd made sure it was clean. But in verse 5, it's not a pasture, a meadow anymore. It's a table, and it's set. 
It's not a brook of water. It's a goblet. It's a cup of the good stuff. Whatever good stuff means to you. And the Jews, there was two drinks, water and wine. Wine was a good one, right? Um, and he gives them not the meadow, but the house. He gives them the house. Brothers and sisters, why must we go through the valley of the shadow of death? Why must we go through hardship? Whether it's your death or not, why must we go through the proverbial shadow of death? Through hard times, through trials, and cry out, God, save us. Don't you care? We're perishing. Why must the shepherd take us through those times? Because on one hill, you have sheep who are lying around in grass. And on the other hill, you have sons and daughters of the king who are living and feasting in the palace. But from one hill to the other is the valley of the shadow of death. God will lead us through hardship. God will take us in the places that stretch us because his ultimate vision for us is not that you remain a sheep, but is that you become a son and a daughter of the king. It's not that we are just a flock, but that we become a family, that we become co-heirs, Romans chapter 8, with Christ. Co-heirs with Christ. Christ receives the inheritance. He receives all from the Father. And then he says, oh, but wait, Father. I have brothers and sisters who get an equal share of it too. Yes, let's follow the good shepherd. He won't always feel good because you'll be like, it's dark here, Lord. What are you doing? I don't get it. Why are you taking me into these shadow lands? Why are you taking me where there's lions and tigers and bears lurking behind every boulder? Why can't we just stay in these nice, wonderful meadows? I wish you would make me lie down again. This time I won't resist. Make me, please. And he, said, he, just, he just comforts us with his staff and says, you'll see. You'll see. And if you and I look back on what our, how our shepherd has led us through the years, you will notice your life has followed this psalm. You grew up. Every time you went through that valley. And because you've grown up, you've enjoyed so much more from Christ. You have experienced, like Christ said, I am the door and I've come that they may have Zoe life and that abundantly. You only get to the abundance in verses 5 and 6 when you go through the valley. Verses 1 through 3, yeah, we don't want. But in verses 5 and 6, everything's overflowing. And we can trust whatever he's doing in our lives because our good shepherd was willing to go into the grave. Even there, we will be okay. Even there, we shall fear no evil. So what's our political landscape to that? What's the coronavirus to that? What's the decline of Christianity in our nation to that? All these things are just valleys. They're just valleys. The good shepherd has us. He's with us. So I have two questions for you before we take communion. The first is, is this God your shepherd? Are you letting him shepherd you? Or have you been following other shepherds, other advice? Oprah, Fox News, Usually the two don't associate, but 
Is this God? Is Christ your shepherd? If not, when you take of the body and blood of Christ, which we're about to do, this is your yes to your shepherd. And if you've never said yes to this shepherd, take it tonight, knowing that your shepherd gave this to you so that you can follow in his path forever. Second question, how are you as a shepherd? Because as he's growing us from sheep to sons and daughters, from a flock to a family, there's also an element where he's entrusting us to take little tiny shepherd staffs and help others. But brothers and sisters, if we know this shepherd and we go out into this confused world where everyone is scared and lost and all the sheep are doing what they want and all the sheep are listening to bad shepherds to try to find their way through this chaotic landscape of wolves and lions and tigers, if we don't show them the good shepherd, we are awful sheep. We are, we are no longer privileged just to say we're just sheep. We are shepherd sheep. We are sheep who know the shepherd, who also know sheep who are not of this flock. And Christ said in chapter 10 of John, I have other sheep who are not in this flock, and they will hear my voice. They will hear his voice. We must give his voice. Yes, there will be lots of rejection. But he says, there will be some who hear my voice. They are there, desperately looking for a shepherd. And we know him. We know his voice. How dare we not share the good shepherd? Father, you who shepherd us so gently, we pray that you would look upon us and have mercy.